How are we doing today? Uh, all over. Uh, way behind me now. Way behind me. Okay, half. It, it was it was worse than he's saying though. I mean, he's describing. If you watch it, it's oh. Yeah, they've got. Yes. Yeah. Okay, we're going to get started in about 15 seconds. I'm not sure exactly. Did you guys figure out what was going on Sunday? Oh, I don't know. All I know is that he said everything was okay. And he hasn't emailed me to tell me anything's wrong, so I'm assuming everything is okay. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. He never told me there was a problem. He didn't say anything to me just said could you go turn off the system so I was like okay so but I, I don't know what was up or um, okay it is uh, time to get started we are in Psalm 119 verse 81 81 which is cap which is an open palm bend open allow taint my soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I have put my hope in your word. My eyes fail, looking for your promise. I say, when will you comfort me? Though I am like a wineskin in the smoke, I do not forget your decrees. How long must your servant wait? When will you punish my persecutors? The arrogant dig pitfalls for me, contrary to your law. All your commands are trustworthy. Help me, for men persecute me without cause. Almost wipe me from the earth, but I have not forsaken your precept. Preserve my life according to your love, and I will obey the statutes of your mouth. Wonderful. All right, we are in Romans chapter one, verse uh, seventeen, and uh, uh, you know Sunday, I, I just for the life of me could not remember who to pray for. Remember that I was just sitting oh, here. Yeah, yeah. It was Roy and Mike's father who had a stroke. Oh. And it, somebody told me right at the beginning of the service, and I didn't write it down, and so I forgot, but Roy and Mike, they, that's why they weren't here on Sundays, because their father had a stroke. So How we went. Father? He's got to be 85, 90. I mean, they're old. Roy and Mike are, you I know. I say Roy and Mike look kind of old. Yeah, I know. So he's maybe 90-something. I don't know. But yeah, he had a stroke, and so that's why they weren't oh, here. Okay. But they live in, in Bradenton, so it, at oh. least he's local. But um, uh, anyway, I... Uh, I know that I've got other prayer requests that have been submitted to me. One, one of a guy I grew up with when I was young, and he got cancer in his throat. So, uh, mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't know if he's a Christian. So I'm hoping that he will contact his sister. Has asked him to contact me, and we'll take a look at that and see if that'll work out. And um, anyway, we'll just go to Lord in prayer to open us up. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the wonderful opportunity to come and uh, to uh, open your Word and to get into it and. Uh, to study it, we would ask that you would uh, lead us to handle it properly. Above all else, that what we teach and what we learn is according to what you would have for us, because there are a million different interpretations of some of these passages, and they are not always easy. 
and we would ask for illumination in that and uh, prayerfully ask that you would guide us. And uh, Lord, we do uh, look for the opportunity to uh, just fellowship with you in eternity forever. And we thank you for that absolute surety that we have because of what Christ did for us. Thank you for the cross and uh, for the resurrection, which is the pos proof positive that we have this guarantee and that uh, it, it is going to come about. We look for that day and we hope for it soon. And uh, lots of people not here tonight, we would pray that they're okay and that uh, you would just bless them and uh, bring them here safely if they're on their way. And if they're not, that you would just help them to uh, get through their uh, the rest of their week with uh, out any troubles. And Lord, we love you and we praise you and we exalt you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hello, Carol. How are you? Thank you. <laughs> All right, put that there. And, uh, what, uh, verse are we We're on verse 17, Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Where's Tom? Bob? Tom? He's on his way. Oh, okay. He's coming. 16. No, we did 16. Can I get reaches up those? Well, yeah, you can. You, you closed us with reading it. You're not repeating what you read, are you? Okay, go ahead. Roman, make sure you read it loud enough so people can hear you. Paul said he wasn't ashamed. And he's making the expression of affirmity by the negation of the opposite, as in no small feet. Right. Paul does that. And he said, you know, they had no small uh, dissertation means they had a knockdown, drag out fight there. Exactly. Anyway, uh, the gospel uh, is, is no less than the power by which God saves every believer, and it is the, the very opposite of the, the impotency of all the means to which men resort in seeking salvation by their own efforts. That's exactly right. It is exactly it is diametrically opposed yeah. to our efforts, and people yeah. people just can't understand that. You know, I, I haven't looked at my comments from the uh, prophecy update this week, but one of the things that uh, we were talking about Muslims going in and shooting up churches, which is something that they're they're planning, and they've got a kill list of you know fifteen thousand people in America, and a lot of them are on, in churches. And uh, Jim made a comment that one good way to stop that would be to put pork on all the uh, handles of the doors. And so I said he's the uh, baking guy. And uh, we, we determined that Chewy would be okay. Well, when I said that, I knew as soon as I said that, that somebody, and sure enough, I asked oh. him, please don't make any comments. Oh. Don't post anything about bacon on this prophecy update because I don't want to hear it. Uh, but I know that when I go and look at the comments, which I will hopefully get to this week, I, I haven't, but uh, uh, I've got guests coming, uh, and I, I, so I need to get other things done. But um, uh, anyway, the... Um, uh, oh, I'll get to the comments hopefully, and if I do, I know that somebody is going to be there and they're going to say, you shouldn't be eating pork, and why would you say that? It's the law. It is works, and people cannot get that right, is that we are under grace. The law is entirely set aside. Before we get into verse 17, let's go really quickly to Hebrews, because I say this week after week, and it's like people right over their head, they, they will email anyway, and they'll ask these questions, or I won't say that the people that are curious that ask questions, that's fine. But when somebody gets belligerent and they start saying you're wrong and you're 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 you know uh, you've got to obey this and you've got to observe that, and you can take them right to these verses in the book of Hebrews, and it is as if it's not even written in the Bible. Let me read you this one. Um, uh, this is Hebrews seven verse twelve. This is speaking of the priesthood of the law. If there is a law and there is a priesthood, right? 
if the law is annulled, then what happens to the priesthood? It disappears, right? So here's what it says in Hebrews 11, uh, 7, 12. For the priesthood being changed of necessary necessity, there's also a change of the law, okay? The law is done. You have a change from one law to another. You go from the old covenant to the new covenant. You have the covenant at Sinai. You have the covenant in Christ's blood. Now, right? Verse 18, chapter 7, verse 18. For on the one hand, there is an annulling. Annulling means what? It's, it's done. Gone. It is completely gone. There is no precept of that law left. There is an annulling of the former commandment, meaning the law, because of its weakness and unprofitableness. The law was weak. It couldn't save anybody. It was unprofitable. It could not meet the, the final goal of salvation of human souls. It could only lead us to Christ. Okay? So, hello, how are you? Getting longer, looking nice. Okay, so it's, it, it is annulled. It is completely gone. And somebody emailed me about, well, you said during the prophecy update, and this is a, a friend of mine. They're, they weren't being belligerent. They just wanted to know where I stood on or how I stood on that. And they said, you said during the prophecy update that the feasts of the Lord are done. I said, it's part of the law. The law is annulled. You, we don't have a feast of the Lord coming to be fulfilled. It's impossible because that's a part of the law. This feast was fulfilled on this day, this feast was fulfilled on this day, and this feast was fulfilled on that day. They're all fulfilled in Christ. Colossians 2, 15 and 16 says that they are a shadow. The reality is in Christ, 16 and 17. I, I don't know if I said that. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. The reality is Christ, okay? So, it's annulled. Here's what it says in uh, Hebrews 8, verse 13. In that he says, a new covenant. Are we under the new covenant? Yes. Okay? And in that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. What does obsolete mean? Gone. It's, it's, obsolete means that it is no longer in use. It is, a, you know, when you get a new phone, the old one is obsolete. What do you do with it? You get rid of it. Okay? It's obsolete. Let's go on to another one. Uh, Hebrews 10, verse 9. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, speaking of the law, that he may establish the second. It's taken away. The law is annulled. It is obsolete. It is taken away. There is no precept of the law that is binding unless it is repeated in the New Testament. Everybody here got that? Anybody have a problem with that? Never email me about, can I eat pork or not? Don't do it. If it doesn't say it in the New Testament, and it doesn't, and I'm talking about after Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, it is done. Okay? Now, we'll go to one more, because I always cite this along with it. Even though Hebrews is so specific, People will say, they'll take the Colossians one, and they'll say, that doesn't really say what it says, but it does say it. Here's what it says in Colossians 2, verse 14. Having wiped out... Here, let's do this. Okay. There you go. Having wiped out... It's gone. Having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, speaking of the law. It's wiped out. It's been erased which was contrary to us. The law stood against us. It didn't, it didn't save us. It didn't bring us one step closer to God. Okay? And has taken it out of the way. It's taken out of the way. And he has nailed it to the cross. It is done. The law stuck to the cross with Christ because he embodied the law. He fulfilled it on our behalf. We put our trust in that, on that cross of Christ. We don't put our trust in what we do under deeds of law. So, we've got that out of the way for today. We can get into Romans, but that's one of the things that when people email me, it's either one of two. It's either they want to know, why is this? 
And where do you get that in the Bible? Or the second one is, you're a heretic and please uh, stop saying you need to observe the Sabbath and you need to stop eating pork. And I get it all day, day after day. I can tell people, please don't email me about that and they still do it. So, and you know, I just think how many people that are, you know, out there that are teaching things and they've got people so confused. All we need is this. All we need to do is put this in the proper context. And And that's pointing to that you have to really get into it. Get into say, it. Oh, I'm going to open it up to here, and it's telling me I got an A, B, C, and D, and then over here, Jesus loves everybody. It's like, okay, you know, put it in order. Put it and, in and, order and, and put it in its proper box. Right. There are boxes for everything. God is a God of order. God is a God of logic, and therefore everything boxes up nicely. It doesn't go, well, we're in this box, but we're going to reach back into this box. It doesn't happen that way. We are in the dispensation of grace. We are in the dispensation of the church age. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that we reach back in and say, okay, tithing is now mandatory. Oh, once again, get me started on tithing. I don't even want to do it because I I had somebody today, uh, one of my old friends, and he said, you know, something about, he sent in, why do people not teach prophecy in churches? And they gave five reasons, and he said, or six reasons. Number five, because people won't want to tithe to their church. (laughs) And I thought, boy, is one, that's a completely bad argument for not teaching prophecy and secondly we're not supposed to be tithing to our churches okay don't ever say i I want to tithe to your church because when somebody does that i say i want you to know what tithing is and the first thing i do is i send them the link to my sermon on tithing actually not on tithing it's about tithing but it's not on tithing because anyway that's a part of the law the law is what annulled it's obsolete it's wiped out set aside it's nailed to the cross okay and so many, that, that's only a few. In the book of, yes, go ahead. Oh, good, hallelujah, yeah. In the book of Hebrews, I can tell you that it, it says at least 10 more times implicitly, at least 10 more times that the law is done. That's, those are four explicit times that I gave you, but at least 10 more times just in the book of Hebrews, it alludes to the law being done. Okay, so, and I'm not going to get into all of them. We'll get into Hebrews in a while, but right now we're in Romans 1, verse 17, please. Here we go. For in the gospel of righteousness, righteousness from God, it is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just okay. As, oh, go ahead. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Okay, everybody look up at me. Okay? Where is that written? The, the just shall live by faith. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm so glad somebody got that. I didn't want to have dear eyes. Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk. That is, that is the text that Paul uses. He says, listen, even the law... Even the law itself, because Habakkuk preached under the the law, the Old Testament, that's right. Even Habakkuk understood that it it was from faith to faith. The just or the righteous shall live by faith. So here we go. 117. This verse contains a statement which will define the entire structure of the epistle. And yes, even the Bible itself. This verse that we just read again. I'll read it from uh, the New King James Version. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, I'm sorry, yes, as it is written, the just shall live by works. Faith, that's right, they shall live by faith. I'm glad somebody got that right away. I don't want that turning into a brain squiggle. No works, we live by faith. And that's what we talked about this weekend as well, last weekend, was the faith of Abraham. We have the the people over in Jerusalem having this festival in September, and it's the great three Abrahamic faiths. No, there's one Abrahamic faith. There's only one. Abraham faith 
or, or the faith of Abraham was Genesis 15, verse 6, right? He took him out, he looked at the stars, and he said, uh, thus shall your descendants be. And Abraham believed God, and he, God, credited to him, Abraham, for righteousness. righteousness. That's right. That's the only Abrahamic faith. Islam is not of faith, okay? Judaism is not of faith. Only Christianity is, and not all sects of Christianity are of faith. But that's what the Bible teaches. So, the verse contains a statement which will define the entire structure of the epistle, and yes, even the Bible itself. To introduce it, Paul says, for, which is given to explain what he had just said. Verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For in it, meaning the gospel of Christ, okay? Um, in other words, verse 17 will explain what he has already said to the church in Rome, and thus to us, because we are the recipients of this letter, and then the discourse on the nature of God and our relationship to him, starting in verse 18, will explain what he says in this verse. Okay, so he's making a transition, but this transition explains what the Bible teaches about being righteous before God. Okay, Adam fell because he was in a state of innocence. Adam had to demonstrate faith before he could be clothed with garments of righteousness, which the Lord, who clothed Adam? Uh, well, first he did it himself, right? They oh, took yeah, fig leaves and they covered themselves. That was a picture of works-based salvation. I'm going to cover myself because I know I stand naked before a holy God. And he intuitively knew that knew that because for God, the man has become like one of us, knowing good from evil. Okay? God rejected that. And so Adam had to demonstrate faith before he was clothed by God. When did he do that? Does anybody know when he demonstrated faith? We'll go back and read it, and you tell me when, when I get to it. I want you to tell me, because this is, like I said, the whole Bible is based on this premise. We're going to go back to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to find out. When, when you hear me say, when he demonstrated faith, then just call out. It says, um, I'm going to give the curse on him first. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten, uh, eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it. All the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his, called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Well, nobody called out. He demonstrated faith right in between the curse and the clothing. He named his wife Eve. Chava, it means life. Okay? It is through faith that, hello, how are you? It is through faith that you were granted life. And she is the mother of all of the living. Okay? The naming of his wife said, I have faith that the promise that God made back in Genesis 3.15 and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God said, I count this as faith because he demonstrated faith that the, what did, what happened when he violated God's commandment? It says, on the day that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. die. And yet he called his wife, Chava, life. <coughs> he demonstrated faith in the promise of God that there would be a redeemer that would bring life to the people of the world once again. Okay? It is by faith, just as Abraham was reckoned faith by a simple declaration of one sentence, so was Abraham. Faith is what restores righteousness to the person in God's provision. At the time, Adam was 
uh, granted faith, uh, righteousness based on faith in what? The coming Messiah. Abraham demonstrated faith in what? The coming Messiah. Okay? You are going to have a child, and this will lead to a blessing upon the whole earth. Right? They were demonstrating faith in God's provision. We have faith in what he has done. Mm. That it is true. Because all we have, people, I hate to tell you this, I know Bob gave his thing on uh, Sunday, and I never argue with people that believe that they have extra-biblical revelation. They may have had a dream and thought it was. They may have, whatever. But to me, this is all that we need for sufficiency in our walk with Christ. Okay? There are all kinds of people that have had visions and dreams, and if they believe that, that is fine. For me, I, this is all I need. I don't need anything beyond this. That's what the okay? Apostle Paul said. Well, that, that's right. Thing we need. <laughs> There's nothing we need because faith comes by hearing, hearing and hearing by word of God. the word of God. This is God's provision, okay? So, he and I, I am convinced that he had a vision. I, I am convinced he, he that he didn't. didn't change, like, you know, the precepts of his faith. No, no, that's right. I, and I, I don't dispute that. that. I'm not saying that at all. And that's why I'm qualifying this. It's because some people have something that they believe is a vision. I don't believe it was. I believe it was something that happened to them. A guy posted on my wall this morning. If you want to go read it, you can. And he said, I had a dream last night. And it was so real. And another person came and said, well, surely that was from the Lord. I disagree with that. I think that it was something that he had in his heart so deeply that when he perceived it, it was real to him. I've had dreams. I, you know what? I had a dream a few weeks ago. It was so real in the dream. I always sleep with this right next to me. Okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was so real that I actually in the dream had this in my hand. And I thought, well, this can't be right. I don't remember picking this up. So I took it and I banged it on the floor. It was so real that I actually said, this isn't a dream. I was in my dream. It was, it was, I'm telling you to this moment, it was as real as anything I've ever experienced. Oh, well, it is scary, but you know, I'd rather have that by me than have somebody come in and break into the house. But anyway, um, what I'm saying is there are things that happened that are so real that we're convinced that they happened. Even a near-death experience. Even a near-death experience. I'll take this over that. I will take this over near-death experience. One of the, uh, um, anyway, um, oh, one other thing that I wanted, oh, you know what? I actually had one time I woke up and I heard my name called. This is years ago. Charlie. And it was, it was absolutely as real as any call that I've ever heard in my life. And I woke up and it wasn't, it wasn't there. So we do have things that happen, and we may ascribe it to a vision. I don't want to say that people didn't have that. I just don't think that it was what they think it is. I just don't think so. Um, having said that, um, and like I said, I am certain that he had something happen to him. And some of us in here have had things that we have had happen to us, and we, we don't understand it. I just think that this is where we get our faith from. Okay, I want to make sure of that because there are a lot of people that watch this that believe in visions and dreams. That's fine. I just don't. I don't argue. I don't think that they're crazy, ever. None of that bothers me. They can believe what they want, but I am sticking to this and this alone until the day I have an actual vision. Then I'll come and I'll tell everybody, man, was I wrong about that? But I, 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 this is it. This is what God has given us to understand who he is. And if we have anything beyond this, then it is not faith. It's sight. We live by faith and not by sight. Okay, um, I, I'm not going to get into it right now, but later I will. Um, okay, so let's go back to my comments. Adam demonstrated faith. 
Abraham demonstrated faith. And we can go all the way through the Bible and you'll see that one turning point in these people's lives. Some people were kind of brought up in faith. David was a guy of faith from, from his youth. He just knew that the Lord was there. But you watch through the Bible where there are these moments in people's lives where all of a sudden somebody demonstrates faith. Remember the bridegroom of blood when Zipporah, she had her moment. And uh, you'd have to watch that sermon to understand what happened there because every scholar that I've ever read did not get that one right. It's it's very, very difficult passage, and I am certain that what I came up with it is correct, is that she had a moment of faith, and she demonstrated it by doing something in the presence of the Lord. Okay. Um, Anyway, we'll get back into uh, uh, this. Um, Paul is thinking clearly and presenting his argument in a logical order. Therefore, when he speaks about issues which are contrary to God's nature and worthy of condemnation in his coming thoughts... There is a direct connection to today's verse. The statement of such great weight and magnitude is the righteousness of God. There are many theories about what this is speaking of, okay? The righteousness of God. What is he speaking about? Well, I'll give you some, some uh, I've got one, two, three, four. I've got four possibilities that people have given us. It is speaking of his innate righteousness. I am who I am, and therefore my traits, such as righteousness, define me. In other words, when God says, um, uh, when we say God is truthful, that defines God. He is truth. He can't tell a lie. There's no untruth in him. When we say God is holy, it is that he, holiness is a part of his character. So, uh, it is speaking of his innate righteousness. The just shall live by faith. Okay, two, it is speaking of his goodness. The righteousness of God is defined by his benevolent nature. Okay, so he's good. He's in uh, coming sermon, the one I typed this past Monday. He says, the Lord, the Lord God. Let me read it to you so I don't misquote it. Excuse me, I think it's uh, Exodus 34, if I remember. And uh, he makes the proclamation about himself. He says, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Each one of those defines who he is. Okay, so... That's point number two. It is speaking of his goodness. All right? Three, it is speaking of his mode and means of justifying fallen man. Okay? God's righteousness is revealed in the gospel which contains the path to justification and thus our own declaration of righteousness. Okay? Is that what it's speaking of? Or for I put, etc. Because people come up with all kinds of notions about what it means, the righteousness of God. The answer is that the righteousness of God Paul is speaking about is the gospel. That's what Paul is speaking of. It's not speaking of God's inherent righteousness, which just exists anyway. We wouldn't know that without the gospel. Well, we could we could deduce it without the gospel, but that's not what he's speaking about. He's speaking about the gospel, the righteousness of God. All right, God's righteousness is an innate righteousness, and one does not need the Bible to understand this, even though the Bible does proclaim it. Okay, that's why I just qualified that, is because that's the case, is that we can understand that simply by thinking about Aristotle did. He thought about whatever the, uh, he didn't know who God was. He knew that there was a being, a superior being, one superior being, and he knew things about him. Okay, but he didn't have that relationship with him because he was outside of the covenant people. But he knew that in this being, there was no potential at all. He called him pure act. And what that means is pure actuality. In other words, there is nothing to become in God. 
is actualized and always forever, forever. He had no beginning, he had no end. If you have a beginning, then you have something that is actualized. If your love changes, and this is one thing that people need to understand about God, God does not love Nicole back there any more than he loves Adolf Hitler. He is love. He is love. That's all there is to it. He is love. He doesn't increase in love. He doesn't decrease in love. When it speaks of the anger of the Lord or the Lord, you know, whatever in the Old Testament, that's speaking of his uh, revelation of himself in the Lord, who is Jesus, okay? In God, I'm talking about God, the creator, okay? The first member of the Godhead, the Father, there is no change at all. Jesus, we'll go through it this way, just so you can kind of understand it. Can God uh, cry? Yes. No, God cannot cry. Can Jesus cry? Yes. Yes, the manhood of Christ can. The deity of Christ cannot. Can God learn? No, he can't learn anything at all. But Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men, right? Can God get bigger? No, God is spirit, but Jesus grew physically, okay? You have to make sure that you understand the nature of God. God is pure act. If he isn't, if there is any change in God, in his righteousness, in his holiness, in his justice, in his truthfulness, in any way, if there's any change in him, it isn't the God of the Bible. God is outside of time. He created it, and in him there is no change. I, the Lord your God, do not change. That's speaking of the divine nature of God. That's why when we see the Lord do something in the Old Testament where he gets angry, that is speaking of the eternal Christ who reveals God the Father. Even though you don't see him, you know, in the pages, you don't see him, he is there. This is Jesus who it's speaking of. I am who I am is Jesus. He is revealing the unseen God who does not change in any way. Okay, and this is hard to understand. We have to, we have to make sure we get this right, though, because if there is a change in God in any way, not the God of the Bible. That sure blows a hole in the fictitious Allah. Yeah, well, that's right, because Allah is a monad, whereas we have the Godhead. We have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If Allah is the true God, then we're in a big heap of trouble because he is vindictive. He changes in his demeanor towards man, and God cannot change. And therefore, if he is a monad, he's the only expression of God, then that is not it, 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 we, we can't say it's not um, God. We just say it's not possible of God. So Allah is not God. Whatever he is, he is not God. Okay? And we know that because they say he is a monad. He is only one God. He has no partner unto himself, which they are saying that Jesus is not God. That's how they justify that. All right? Their God is changing. And the God who created all things cannot change in any way, shape, or form. He is Unchanging. Yeah, he is. Period. That's right. So, oh, go ahead. The God of the Old Testament, God the Father. When it says something to the Old Testament, like I am the Lord God, I change not. The Lord, L O R D, is Jehovah. Yod Hey Vav Hey. That is, believe it or not, him expressing himself through the second member of the the Godhead. That is not God the Father. Sensational thing, like we're God of the Old Testament. No, there is one God. That's right. Old Testament, New. It's the same God. He reveals himself to the people of the world through Christ. Christ is the same God all the way through the Bible. Okay? God stepped out. That's why I say, and Bob seemed to like this one, and he mentioned it on that uh, Sunday after I mentioned it, is that he said, I'd never thought of that before. But there is no such thing as a pre-incarnate Christ. It's a logical contradiction. There is 
the eternal Christ. He is the one that reveals God all the way through the Bible. That's why when you see at the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't say the Lord created the heavens and the earth. It says Elohim created it. The Lord is introduced later. And yet it's the same God. The Lord is the creator. Jesus is the creator. But when you're speaking about eternity, you're speaking about God with no change. And so he is now interacting with his creation. There's a change. And that is Christ. That is God working in creation. Okay, that's why the rock is Christ. And that's why when we see, um, if you watch the sermons and all of these things, when the Lord says, I am the Lord, this and that, and one thing and another, it's always Christ. He is explaining the temple in a means that show us Christ. Everything about the Lord of the Old Testament. Here, here's an example for you. Isaiah says, I am, and if I've repeated this from a previous Bible study, I'm sorry, but it, it, it'll help you understand this. I am the Lord, Jehovah, L-O-R-D, all capital. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I am Israel's Redeemer, and there is no other. I am the Savior, and there is no other. I am the first and the last, right? He says all of these things. And then New Testament, those same things are ascribed to Jesus in the New Testament. He is our Savior. He's our Redeemer. He is the first and the last. He's the Alpha and the Omega. It says in the Old Testament, every knee shall bow to me, the Lord, right? In the New Testament, that's ascribed to Jesus. The Old Testament Lord was just working towards the revelation of himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Types and shadows to get us to Christ. But when Jesus, when, when the Lord walked up to Abraham, and it calls him L-O-R-D, capital, it was a physical being that walked up to Abraham. God isn't physical. So it has to be his expression of himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, let me help you with this. This is something I haven't done on the video. I've done it for this class, but some of you may not have been here. So I'm going to do it really quickly before we get back into Romans 1.17. Is that when you look at the Old Testament, or even in the New Testament, but mostly in the Old, you've got three different words that are used, and they all are the same word. And so you want to know who is being spoken to, when is something being spoken. Okay, what does that word say in English? Lord, okay. Now, what does that word say in English? Lord. Okay, and what does this word say in English? Lord. Okay, they all say the same thing. So in English, we just say Lord, we have no idea that they're completely different meanings in the Hebrew. This one here is Adon. That would be like Mr. You could say my Lord. Somebody would say to Abraham, Adoni, my Lord. The I on the end is possessive. Adoni, my Lord, okay? What Sarah said about Abraham. Yeah, what Sarah said about Abraham, my Lord. That's exactly right. The next one is a capital L, small O-R-D. What is this in Hebrew? Somebody remember? Adonai. That's always speaking of the Lord. A person speaking about the Lord or to the Lord. Adonai. I saw Adonai high and lifted and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah 6 or whatever. Yeah, 6. Anyway, okay? He said Adonai. But it's speaking of this being, okay? But this is him speaking about him or sometimes to him. And I'm going to give you an example from the Bible so you can find all three of these in one passage and it'll help you. The last one is Lord, and this is the divine name. Yod, hey, vav, hey. Okay? Or we would say Yehovah. If you're James Strong, he would say Yehovah. 
the Jehovah's Witness, who will call him Jehovah with the J because that's English, you know, whatever. Or some people call him Yahweh, whatever. Okay, but this is the divine name of God. That is speaking of the Lord. So when you're going through the Old Testament, you're going to see these different things. Okay, anytime you see this, this is not speaking of God the Father. Somebody said, well, that's God the Father. What is his name? And they emailed me recently, and I said, no, you've misunderstood. Because this individual, this Lord, L-O-R-D, Jehovah, walked up to Abraham. That can't be God the Father, right? Jesus. This is Jesus. This is the eternal Christ right here. I'm going to give you a passage that will help you to remember this as you're reading. We've got to go. I've got to find it. It's in the book of Judges. And if you find the story about Gideon, um, let me know. Six. Chapter 6? Okay. I think that's correct. I think it's Judges 6. Um, let's see here. It says, um, yeah, okay, we're going to read this really quickly. Starting in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord. Angel, Malak. And sometimes it says angel. That can be a person. Okay, the word is Malak in Hebrew. It means a messenger. So when Jacob saw, sent uh, servants to meet Esau, remember that? He was going to go appease uh, his brother with all these gifts. Remember that? After he's the, the night by the Jabbok River, he sent his messengers, and they're called Malak, angels. So you've got to be careful because some people immediately assume that an angel means a thing with wings flying around. Okay? It doesn't. It, it, it is a messenger. Okay? Same thing in the New Testament. Agalos, the Greek word angel, can be a person. It doesn't have to be a heavenly being. It can be a human. So, got to watch that, and it helps explain a lot of things if you understand that too, but we'll get to that some other time. Okay, verse 11. Now, the angel of Jehovah, the angel of Yehovah, see how it says there in uh, verse 11, all capitals? Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was an Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of all capitals, Jehovah, right, appeared to him and said to him, the Jehovah is with you, mighty man of valor. So he's saying, the Lord, Jehovah, second member of the Godhead, is with you, mighty man of valor. Okay? Gideon said to him, verse 13, oh my Lord. It's all small. He used the term Adon. Oh Adoni, my Lord. He thinks he's a person. Okay? Oh my Lord. If the Lord, Jehovah, is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not Jehovah, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Which we know he did. It's, I am the Lord. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. If he did this, then why is this happening? But now the Lord, Jehovah, has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord, Jehovah, it's no longer calling him the angel of the Lord. It's calling him the divine name. This person that he thinks is a human, he just called him a human term. The Bible says that it's the Lord, Jehovah. Then, so um, uh, where was that? It says, um, then the Lord, Jehovah, turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, oh my Lord. L, small O-R-D. Mm. Oh Adonai. He now knows he's speaking to God. So he went from Adoni to Adonai. Okay, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? My, indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And Jehovah said to him, Surely I will be with you and shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, If I have now found favor in your sight, sounds just like what Moses said to him in chapter 34 of Exodus, If I have found favor in your sight, Ken, grace, if I have found this, 
then show me a sign that it is you who talked to me. He wants to test the Lord, right? Do not depart from here. I pray until I come to you and bring my offering, and I will set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. And the translators, there are no capitals in Hebrew, but the translators made it a capital U here because he knew that he was speaking to God, okay? So Gideon went and did the thing of the Lord. Verse 20, the angel of God. Now it says the angel of Elohim. So the angel of the Lord is the angel of God. Elohim is God. El, God, mighty, Elohim. O is the fullness. It's like a uh, uh, Elohim. It's, um, I'll explain it in a second. I am is plural, okay? It doesn't always mean that there's more than one God. Elohim is what we call a majestic plural. In other words, uh, you would use the plural to speak of the singular. There are many times in the Bible where Elohim means God's plural, but in this case, Elohim is speaking of God singular. It's a majestic plural. This is a fullness. So when you think of the word Elohim, because when uh, Samuel was raised from the uh, dead by the witch at Endor, he was called an Elohim. He was called one of these. Okay. So when you think of the t word Elohim, what I want you to do is just think of over there. Somewhere else, okay? Elohim, just think of over there. It's in another realm. It's in another location that we can't perceive. That's why in the beginning, it doesn't say the Lord created the heavens and the earth. Elohim. Elohim created the heavens and the earth. He's over there. Because there's nothing there. He's over there from our perspective. And then later we find out that it was the Lord who is the creator. And then guess what? In John 1, 1, we find out that it was Jesus who is the creator, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I hope I said that right. I haven't done that in years. Okay, okay, so this is over there. This is Lord. This is Adonai Lord. This is Lord God. And then what do we do? We get down to this wonderful thing. Now, Gideon perceived, verse 22, that he was the angel of the Lord, meaning God. So Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, Adonai Elohim. He uses this term here with this word here. Adonai, you are God, Elohim, over there. All in one passage of just a few verses. Amazing, isn't it? This is, if you follow closely on the Bible, you will see treasure hidden in there to lead us to who we have. Burke is loving this. He's got a big smile. <laughs> Let me go wipe that off of there. And, and more about Elohim. You say it's plural. Elohim is plural. I am at the end of a word. It depends if it's a masculine word. If it's, I hope that didn't just, poor camera, um, uh, poor people watching. If that, if you have I am at the end of the word, like Ephraim, F, Ephraim, right? Ephrat would be fruitful. This would be twice fruitful or fruitfulness, okay? But in this case, I am does not specifically mean plural, as in there's more than one God. It is a majestic plural. It's an, it, we'll call it an honorific. When you go to Japan, what do they call, what would you call somebody? You don't call them uh, Charlie, you call them Oka? Charlie-san. Charlie-san, okay? I would never call myself Charlie-san. She's looking at me wondering, what's he talking about? I, I would, well, you got that. But anyway, if I said... Charlie-san says that would be embarrassing because I'm giving myself an honorific. You wouldn't do that. Somebody else would say Charlie-san, or I would say Tom-san, right? That's, it's like saying Mr. Tom. I'd never call myself Mr. Charlie. That'd be stupid, right? But Charlie-san would be an honorific bestowed on somebody. 
if you want to really honor somebody, you would say Charlie Sama, okay? That would be like the exalted Charlie, right? But nobody ever called me that, okay? <laughs> anyway, um, but this is, all this is, is it's a, when speaking of one God, it is a majestic plural. The I am does not mean multiple gods. It is simply a way. What? With the Trinity? Well, yes and no, because it doesn't prove anything. And people will say, well, sir, this proves it. It it doesn't. Now, when you get to the next verse where it says man has become like one of us, right? That's that's kind of obvious. Isaiah does that, and I think chapter 1 of the uh, Genesis does it too. There are times in the Bible where it says us in the plural. 126, thank you. That is a completely different story. The man has become like one of us, okay? Or whatever. 126 says what? What? We'll oh, yeah, make man image. in our image. Thank you. That's a little different. But this this does not prove anything in the Trinity. All this is is just a way of honoring the one true God or to speak of many gods, right? Lesser gods, whatever. Okay, but Elohim does not necessarily mean God. It simply means over there. And as I said, um, uh, in the, the Psalms, judges are called Elohim because they are over there. They are the, the, the people that are over there judging over here. Okay, so you got to be careful with that word, and it's a big study. There's more to it than that, but that right there, Lord, Lord, and Lord will help you. And I don't know why we got onto this, but it has to do with what we're seeing in Romans one seventeen. So let's go on. Um, uh, the gospel is the way of the righteousness of transfer. Oh yeah, let me go back. The righteousness of God is. Maybe I skipped something. Hang on a second. Oh yeah, I, I'm going to go back. God is benevolent and forgiving, as is evidenced in His nature. Okay, I said that. Such as in rains falling on all people, whether they're good or bad. Okay, that's what we call grace. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. My neighbor is a really great guy, and I'm a dirtball, and it rains on both of us. Right? That's grace. Okay, so God gives rains on the good and on the bad. And Jesus even said that. Okay, his benevolent nature is also seen in the Bible, such as in the giving of prophets to again and again and again call his people to repentance. That's grace. He didn't have to do that. They violated the law. But the first time, well, we'll get to that in a sermon. I won't get into that right now. But we have grace that is being bestowed upon the people of Israel based on Moses' words to the Lord in Exodus 34. Okay, The law was first a law of, uh, of order. It was a law that you must do these things. They didn't do it. They built a golden calf. And so the law was reaffirmed, but it was reaffirmed in a different way, in a way of grace. Okay, and that's what they continue to get for all those years. And they're still getting it to this day. Israel is still getting grace to this day because God is gracious and compassionate, as it says in Exodus uh, 34. Okay, so, uh, but these don't get at the heart of why Paul was willing to expend himself as in verse 17. Verse 17 said, oh, I'm back in uh, somewhere. Verse 17 said, For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. I'm sorry, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the power of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. He was willing to expend himself for this gospel. Okay, rather he explains that it is the gospel message to which his efforts were directed. Okay, so I'm going back over those points that I read earlier. Is it speaking of his innate righteousness? Is it speaking of his goodness? Is it uh, speaking of his mode and means of justifying fallen man? It is speaking of the gospel. Okay, so um, uh, the gospel is the way in which God's innate righteousness is transferred to fallen man so that he stands justified and forgiven for any and all transgressions, both inherited through Adam and actively committed in the flesh. 
And this gospel is based solely on faith, grace. That's right, grace through faith, but it's solely on faith. There is not one single work that will ever get you any closer to God than simply trusting in all the work that he did for us based on the first law. Because that first law is God's standard. And if we try to be justified by that first law, we will only find condemnation. That's all we're going to find because we can never attain to God's standard. That's why God had to step out of the eternal realm and do it for us. And he set it all up, thousands of years setting it up. The Lord will do this. The Lord will do this. The Lord, which is Jesus, the pre, not the pre, the eternal Christ doing this to show us that it is coming in him. Yes, you had something. Righteousness is that which God is, which he has, which he gives. And which he gives. That's it. And, it, and it's the righteousness that we have is reproduced because of Christ. It's mm. reproduced. That's right. In, in, in him. By mm. faith. By faith, by because faith. we can't re reproduce it any other way. Right. Like I say, if we try to reproduce what Jesus did, it's saying that what you did was insufficient. Mm -hmm. I don't trust you. You cannot be saved. You cannot be saved if you say, I need to stop eating pork in order to please God. Now, that doesn't mean you're not already saved. Somebody can hear the gospel message as a young person. They can say, well, I believe in Jesus, and he forgives me of my sins, and he's saved. That's done. But what does Paul say? If you try to reinsert precepts of the law, you become a debtor to the mm -hmm. whole law because you set aside the grace of Christ. That doesn't mean that person that was saved is now unsaved. That doesn't mean that. That means that a person that is not saved will never be saved by trying to be, find his own righteousness through works of the law. Hence, the Jehovah's Witnesses are out working their way to heaven, and they've got an infinite climb to get there. They will never attain to what Christ did. Instead of simply trusting in what Christ did, they're out there knocking on doors, thinking, I'm earning my way to heaven. And Mormons, and Muslims, and Buddhists, and Hindus, and every other faith on this planet except for the Christian people that have simply put their trust in Christ. If you're a Catholic and you're in a church and you say, I need to do this in order to be forgiven and start counting those beads and saying Hail Marys, you will never be saved. It doesn't matter if you say 10,000 years worth of 10,000 Hail Marys, it will not get you a step closer to God. Because he's the one that did it. That's why reinserting the law is so harmful. That's why it's so harmful. And I say something in a prophecy update, one sentence, and people fly off the wheel without thinking the ramifications of what they're saying through. Instead, they say, well, you can't eat pork. Because, you, you know, one of the arguments that you get a lot, they're God's garbage cans. They eat all of the, you know, or like crabs. Lobster. Crab, yeah, lobsters, crabs. All of these things are God's garbage can. Why would you eat God, God's garbage can? Because they're really tasty, okay? It has nothing to do with, it has nothing to do with your relationship with Christ and what he did on the cross. He did that for us so that we don't have to worry about that, right? Yes. There's, help me on this issue. You know, in the Bible, it talks about God being holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. It never says righteousness, righteousness, righteousness. Is there, I know the words are different, and they're spelled different, but when we can come boldly before the throne of grace, it's because of this righteousness, right? That's right. But are we not, so our righteousness is the righteousness Christ did, there's no way to appear on it, but what about the holiness factor? Well, we are or holy. Are we holy as God is because that's, but to us are just this righteousness. Well, we are holy positionally, right. just mm -hmm. as we are holy, if, that's right, in Christ. We are holy in Christ. We are, we'll go back to uh, Ephesians chapter 2. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Are we there? No. no. I know I'm not. Okay? But 
we are positionally there. Our holiness is positionally already guaranteed because of Christ. Our righteousness is. But we speak of righteousness because without righteousness, no man will see God. That's right. And so that's why we, from our perspective, we don't speak of ourselves as holy. We speak of ourselves as righteous because we are declared righteous. And now we can attain to coming into the presence of the Lord with our prayers and with our, but yes, holy, but we're not really in the sense that we're not there with him right now. We're set apart for God, which the, the term holy means set apart, okay? And so we are holy in a sense, but we're not holy actually, just like we're not actually righteous. I know the things that go through my mind all day, you know, poor Hedico, right? She's over there laughing, snicker. <laughs> anyway, yeah, but we are positionally righteous. Positionally, we are justified before God because of the work of Christ. Bert. Uh, 1 Corinthians one thirty. In Christ who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness right. and sanctification and redemption. And redemption. Because we are in him. That's right. These attributes. That's right. In Christ. We are clothed with Christ and therefore we possess those. <laughs> Not because we are inherently that way, but because we are in him. We are covered. And so... Well, it, it, one other thing, Can Okay, I, yeah. I, for years, I have wrestled with from faith to faith. Right. It's in this verse. W.E. Vine, let me read this to you. From faith points to the initial act right. of our being saved, and to faith, to the life of faith, which issues from that initial act. Right. I thought that was the best I've ever read on that. Well, I haven't got there yet, but maybe I say something like that, and I may not. So I don't know. I, well, I, I do you like were that. Done with that. I'm no, I got I got another three three paragraphs to go. Um, <laughs> let's see here. So anyway, I, I have no idea what I say about that, but I like what Vine said. Um, yeah, I typed these years ago, and I really don't study up on them before the class because if I do, then we're going road off of this, and I don't <laughs> want to do that. I'd rather have a conversation with you. So, okay, the righteousness of God is the act contained in the gospel. Okay, for in it, meaning the gospel, is revealed. And then he explains the very heart and core of that gospel. It is from faith to faith. The gospel is the way in which God's innate righteousness is transferred to fallen man so that he stands justified and forgiven for any and all of his transgressions, both inherited, oh, I said this, through Adam and actively committed in the flesh. And this gospel is based solely on faith. Sorry, I read that already. In order to set this thought into motion, he cites the scriptures, for it is written. <coughs> Paul is famous for this. All the way through his writings, he says, for it is written, or scripture says, right? For it is written. Paul's entire discourse explaining that this righteousness will be based on a verse which comes from the time of the law, which I said earlier, and which was written by a prophet who lived under that law. Okay? This prophet, Habakkuk, understood, even under the law, that the law could never save him. There's, and how did he know that? Where did he get that from? Because it's in the law itself. Where did he get that from? First, he saw his country exiled, right? So he knew that the people weren't inherently righteous. And secondly, he had the Day of Atonement. Go down and confess your sins before the Lord and you will be forgiven. What does that imply? That you have sins before the Lord that need to be forgiven. You're not inherently righteous. The Day of Atonement was the grace of God of the Old Testament. And that's why people say, well, the three fall feasts aren't fulfilled in Christ yet. We're waiting for them to be fulfilled. And that's a teaching that is all over, especially prophecy people. Oh, yeah, we're waiting for the rapture, which is the uh, Day of Trumpets. Sorry, it's not. Those are fulfilled. The Day of Atonement is fulfilled in what? The cross. The cross. 
That's right. And when we get to Leviticus 16, you're going to see patterns that you cannot imagine. I am telling you that that is the most intricate study. I'll give you a couple of them right now, just so you can start to see this. All right. There was the high priest that sacrificed for himself, right? He sacrificed a bull for himself. Mm -hmm. Well, Jesus doesn't have sin, so he doesn't have to sacrifice for himself. But that bull, sin, pictures Christ. That's from the very first page of the Bible, the very first sentence of the Bible, the middle of it. Bereshit bara Elohim et. That word et, aleph tav. The aleph is a bull. The tav is a cross. Right in the beginning of the, the first sentence of the Bible, you have the bull on the cross. Christ is that bull. That he was sacrificing for himself was only a picture of what Christ is. He is the bull on our behalf. He is the the righteousness of the high priest. He is the high priest. Okay, so from there, after that, he brings what before the Lord? He brings two more animals. Goats. One is to be sacrificed as the Day of Atonement sin offering, and the other is the Bezalel, the scapegoat. Not Bezalel, the um, Azazel. Okay? Bezalel is the guy that did the tabernacle. That's him. Anyway, so you have the scapegoat, right? They're both identical. Can't tell them apart, right? So they pick one. One goes to the Lord as a sacrifice. The other one goes off into the wilderness. Okay? And there's a judgment made. Who was brought before uh, Pilate? Judas, or, uh, excuse me, Jesus and, and Jesus. Jesus and Jesus. Jesus Barabbas, which means son of the Father, right. and Jesus, the son of the Father. Right. They're identical. They probably looked the same. They had the same name. They were identical in all ways. And they were brought before the Lord. One of them was selected as a sin offering, right there. David Atonement is fulfilled, I have to tell you. The other one, guess what? Let his blood be on us and on our children. Mm -hmm. Off went the scapegoat, back with the people of Israel. They bear the sin of Christ to this day because they rejected Christ. They have to come outside the camp in order to be saved. They have to go to the sin offering. Anybody that tells you that those three fall feasts are not yet fulfilled has not read this Bible very well. They haven't looked at what God is trying to tell us. Is that all of this stuff is only pointing to Christ. The Feast of Trumpets was fulfilled on Christ's birthday. The day they were out blowing trumpets, guess what? The king was hailed in. They were everybody say Barabbas. Explain that just a little oh, slower. Barabbas, yeah, Barabbas. Um, his name was Jesus Barabbas, okay? Barabbas means bar, son, Barabbas. Bar, this is the guy's name that stood next to Jesus, Barabbas. Okay, B-A-R-A-B-B-A-S. All right, bar means son in Hebrew. Actually, in Aramaic, Ben is son in Hebrew, Benjamin, right? But Bar is the Aramaic. I said that Hebrew. This is Aramaic. This is um, uh, uh, Hebrew. Anyway, Bar, Aramaic, Abba, Father. Okay, so he's the son of the Father. So you have Jesus, the son of the Father, standing there with Jesus, son of the Father. But the real Father, capital A, okay, Abba. All right, so anyway, yeah. And then the Feast of Sukkot, the final feast of the year, fulfilled. John 1.14 And he dwelt among us uh, uh, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, uh, full of grace and truth and he came and dwelt among us. I know I said that wrong. Anyway, let me read it to you. Um, uh, John 1.14 I know we're not in Romans right now, but it's still interesting. Um, but I just want people to understand that these feasts are done. 1.14 um, uh, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Tabernacled. Skeneo is the word. It's the same word that Greek translation of the Old Testament uses for dwelling in tents. He came and he tabernacled. He put on a tent and dwelt among us. He is the tabernacle in the wilderness of which we have seen in those past sermons a thousand, 
maybe more than a thousand pictures of Christ, single words, concepts, everything, picturing Christ. He is that tent. Everything about it pointed to him. Feast fulfilled. Don't let anybody tell you that, oh, trumpets means that we're going to be uh, raptured someday. It has nothing to do with it. They make up all kinds of crazy things about the Feast of Trumpets to justify how it's the day, and then it doesn't happen. And so the next thing you know is they say, well, it's going to be on the Feast of Pentecost or First Fruits or whatever. Listen, we don't know when it's going to happen. Isn't it Yeah, that's what I just, yeah, that's what I said. It is feast. It's not a speculation. It is. The Bible shows us that. He was born on the Feast of Trumpets. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, anyway, that, that is his birthday. It was, and guess what? That's the day that Adam was born or was created, okay? You have to go back and you have to do the math on that one. But anyway, he was created on that day. The tradition says it. It's always been held to that. And then he is the second Adam. So he even came on the same day of the creation of Adam. So all of these patterns are rich and fulfilled. The Bible does not explicitly say that, though. I want you to know that about Adam being created on that day. But that is, if you uh, look into it, it is correct. Anyway, let's um, move on from there. And um, where was I? Um, anyway, I don't know why I got off on that other than it's a pet peeve of mine when people say that this feast means something that's future and it hasn't been fulfilled. The law is done. Okay, and that's what we're talking about here is the law. Um, but Habakkuk was living under the law, and even then he understood that it was by faith that you were saved. Okay, Habakkuk, under divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells the people under the law the obedience to its precepts are not of faith, but of deeds. Okay, that those who are just shall live by faith. Remember, if, if you have a law that says you're to do this, is that faith or is that deeds? Jeez. That's deeds. And yet he's telling them that you're to do these, these deeds, and yet you're not justified by those deeds. So Habakkuk understood this, or actually the Lord prophesying through him did, because one way or another, it is expli explicitly stated in the Old Testament that the just shall live by faith. And what is that? Once again, what is the faith of the Old Testament? I said it already. What is the, the Old Testament law? What is the faith of the Old Testament law? The Day of Atonement. Atonement. Thank you. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's why I want you to remember that. It's because that is an important precept to, to clue into. Is that even the law itself gave a provision for God's grace. And it was by faith. We can go to that real quick. Well, I won't, but I'll just tell you what it says. And it says that on that day, all the men of the Israel will go down to Jerusalem. And they will do what? They'll... They'll, they'll fast, and they'll confess their sins before the Lord during that day. Okay? The law was of grace. It was of faith. Because if they didn't go down there, they were to be cut off from their people. Right. Exactly right. So, and if that means that the guy says, well, I don't need to do that. I'm up in, you know, Galilee, and I'm going to just keep on farming. He had no faith. The law was of faith. Even though there were deeds under the law, and that's why people always say, well, the law was grace plus works. I have to tell you, that ain't right. The law was of grace and grace alone. The works only showed them that they needed the grace. Okay? The law was a tutor to lead us to Christ. That's right. Okay? So, um, and, and you know, I know this is repetitive, but I could say this 50 times tonight and it wouldn't be enough. Because you have to go out and you have to talk to people about Christ. And they're going to have all these things. Jehovah's Witnesses, I got to do this. And I, you have to remember that it is grace. It is all grace. And just keep just keep remembering it's that. It's so simple. It's so and simple, and yet stumble. it's so... Right. The stumbling block. Yeah. Remember no what a stumbling block is. I explained this in the first sermon I ever did, I think. Stumbling block, you're walking along, 
and you've got a little raised piece of block. It, it's so small you don't see it and you stumble right over it. That is a stumbling block. The grace of God in Christ is a stumbling block. You don't block. You don't see it. You don't understand that it's there and you trip right over it. Okay? So you're right. Um, okay, so... Um, yeah, a while ago I had one at Christmas when I was out taking metal apart for scrap metal on the back of my truck and he came up and invited, or it was, I'm sorry, that their Easter, uh, their communion day. I laid into that guy. I was not nice to him and I should have been, but I, I, I started talking to him and it was one of those, I want you to know, I, and I just, I, 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 I'm so angry at these people yeah. that they come out and he, he was obviously an elder and he was just, he, I shouldn't let that get to me, but they, they're so smug in what they believe and they don't know what they believe. And so they're very well trained in the few things that they do, but I wasn't not nice to him. I wasn't, you know, in any way, I was just, my heart was going like this, and I was just like, you just don't understand what you're doing right now. And I tried to tell him, God, Jesus is God incarnate. There's nothing clearer in the entire Bible than that precept. And I was just, you know, my heart is just going faster and faster, and he was just like, you know, like a TV tuning you out. And I just, really? you know, anyway. Um, uh, yeah, it, but as soon as you walked up, I pointed up at the sign on the doorway there. It says, you know, Colossians uh, 1, whatever, oh, right? Yeah. He is the image of the invisible yeah, yeah, yeah. God. Yeah. And I said, why don't you read that and take it to heart? So anyway, um, yeah, okay. Um, he is doing this. Um, I've got to go back so you can see where I'm at. Um, Paul will lay, at, lay out the righteousness of God has been displayed. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Let me start that paragraph again. Habakkuk is under divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Tells the people under the law. The obedience to its precepts are not of faith, but of deeds, that those who live by, uh, who are just shall live by faith. From this one verse, this one verse right here that we're looking at, Paul will out, lay out the righteousness of God as has been displayed in and through Jesus Christ. This one verse right here sets the tone for the entire body of all of Scripture. Okay, um, But he won't start there. Instead, he will start with God's natural revelation of himself and logically proceed from that springboard all the way through to his final thoughts. In other words, the book of Romans, I'm not talking about this verse, I'm talking about this verse is where he defines what righteousness before God is, this verse. But then he's going to backtrack and he's going to start by God's natural revelation, which is, um, it starts in verse 18, I think, the next verse, um, hang on, uh, where is, yeah, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, okay, verse 18 he establishes what the righteousness of God is, and then from verse 18, he goes and he says, this is how we can know these things. This is how we can know them. So Paul is a master, actually, because he's under the inspiration of the Spirit. God is a master of working through Paul to get us an understandable, graspable, graspable gospel message. Okay, um, uh, let's see here. Uh, he logically proceeds from that springboard all the way through to his final thoughts. He is doing this to show us that in any place and in any time and to any person on this planet, and I, I can testify to this because I've talked to little children, I've talked to old people that have been bullheaded all their life, I've talked to people that are, are smug and self-confident, I've talked to people from Thailand and Laos, I've talked to people from all over the world, every single person at least understands. They may not accept the premise, but they all understand the premise. Okay, and this is it. He's doing this to show us that in any place and at any time to any person, whether they have the law or not, or whether they have heard the gospel or not, God is just in the decisions that he renders. Okay, we were talking about, can, you know, somebody emailed me about this after last, or two weeks ago, last week, last week's Bible class, where 
you know, can people that have never heard the gospel be saved? Okay? This answers it. Paul explains it in the book of Romans. Okay? Um, uh, it, it, where is it? Um, God is just in his decisions that he renders. No one can say, no human being can say, I didn't know. And no one can say God is unfair. Okay? As I said a week ago, we don't need Jesus to go to hell. We're all going there anyway. Every single one of us on this planet. What we need is Jesus to go to heaven. What is that? What do you call that when you get something you don't deserve? Grace. 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 Jesus is God's grace. And that's why people say, it's not fair that the people in Africa have never heard of the gospel. What is fair? What is fair? Is it fair that I was given the grace of Jesus? No, because grace isn't fair. It's getting what you don't deserve. Right? You're going down the hell highway anyway. I don't mean you. I mean you in general. People. What we need is God's grace, which is not fair. It's grace. You don't earn it. All right? If I go to work and I get, you know, 50 hours of work in this week and I don't get a paycheck, that is unfair. Right? Because the wages that I have earned are mine. And you had an agreement going in. And I had an agreement going in. I've got no agreement with God. I've got no agreement at all. I haven't earned anything. I cannot earn anything before him. And therefore, everything that happens to me is grace. Everything. Every single bit of it. Also, I, I, I wouldn't even know where to find it. Somewhere it's written that if um, he'll spread the word, yes. all the people on the earth hear it, that's when, you know, basically, I guess. Oh, yeah, Jesus I, said that. Yeah, uh, and this word will be throughout the whole world, and then the end will come, right? right? And we're we're right there. I got to tell you, I it, which means it's grace, <clears throat> and it's it's our job to do it. And everyone's just about hurt. So. That's right. Everyone's just about to hurt. But guess what? You, you know, this is where the problem of Calvinism comes in. Well, you're ah. predestined in order to be saved. Right. Well, how does that come about? It comes about by telling people about Jesus. It must be free will. Then I hate to tell you. Because if it's not, then why would we even send out a missionary? Right. Why would we send out a single person on this planet to do anything? Because God's will can't be thwarted. Why doesn't he just tell people through dreams or visions that, here, this is how you get saved. That's why I do not believe, and I say it every time, and somebody always gets angry at me, I don't believe in all these visions coming into Muslims that I hear about all the time. One, it's very profitable for a missionary to say, they're coming to Christ by the millions because God is giving them dreams. And so you should support us so that we can now explain it to them. I hear this all the time. It's very profitable for that missionary to say that or that organization which says that. I have never seen one evidence of this. I have seen people on video say, I was in my house in uh, Iran or Iraq or wherever and somebody left a Bible there when he came to visit and I picked it up and I read it and I met Christ. I've seen that. I've seen people actually say that. That works. And when somebody says, well, yeah, I had a vision about Jesus and I was saved, I don't believe them because it's contrary to this. Why would God do that? It's like what we were talking about with Mary. If God saved Mary from the pit, why doesn't he just save everybody from the pit? It doesn't work that way. Anyway, and like I say, people can believe whatever they want. I don't argue with them. It's fine. They can believe whatever they want. I just don't look at it that way. I look at this as sufficient, and also it's our duty. If I tell people that, yeah, I can get revelation somewhere else, I ain't doing my duty. You know what? I'm just not doing it. That's why you are in the projects every... He's missed two Saturdays in nine years. Two. Is that right? Two. In nine years. Why? 
Yeah, you slacker. Why does he do that? It's because he knows that those people need Christ. And who is going to be there if we're not? Jehovah's Witnesses. It's darkness and light, and that is the only two things that are going into the projects. Two times in nine years he's missed, and somebody was there to replace him on those days. We've never missed in nine years, not one Saturday. Not one. We've done it on Christmas Day. We've done it on New Year's Day. We've done it during rains. We've done it in the cold and the heat. We've done it when we were sick. I, unless there's something going on, like next week I've got to go to that wedding that my daughter's going to, so I won't be there. But unless there's something actually going on, we're there. But I, I will not go to that wedding next Saturday if Jim gets called out to Baltimore because he's not going to go alone. And so unless there's at least two people going, I won't go to that wedding. This is more important to me than seeing that girl get married that I've known my whole life. What's that? I was just wondering if anyone's ever gone out by themselves. No. And, you know, we could, and it would be okay. You know it's safe there, but it's just not good. It's always better to have two people. All right, so, yeah, but no, we've always had at least two people out there. But this is why we do that. Okay, if I start telling people, yeah, you can, you can meet Jesus or you can be saved some other way. And it, it, the logic is, it, think of this, and I tried to explain this a week or so ago, and I don't know if it sunk in. People say, well, what about the people before the missionary got to that island? Okay. Well, what about when the guy gets to the island and he only does half the island? Right. What about the other half of the island? Are they suddenly exempt too? Right? What about the people that live down the road that have really never heard of Jesus? Because there are people in America. I talked to somebody last Saturday. Remember I prayed for somebody before I left? I talked to him and he had never understood ever what Jesus came to do. Can you imagine that? Here in America? He had no he's idea. Heard he's heard it. So what? Okay. I've heard of Muhammad Ali. I don't know yeah, what he know. does. Know, yeah. But he had no idea. Is he exempt? No, of course not. The guy down the road that has never heard of the name Jesus, he moved here from wherever, is he exempt? No. No person is exempt from this. And that's why there is salvation by Christ. And John 14, 6 either means what it means or it means nothing. Yes. Um course the bible says they'll punish sin wherever it's found right that means even if they don't have a missionary there or a bible there and he said there's enough revelation in the heavens to know there's a divine creator that's right but that's only sufficient for condemnation right. but it's not sufficient for salvation in my heart i think that if a person is searching and wants to really know god will raise up the missionary or send somebody well you would hope that's the case that's, well, well you want you want to know something they miss out on the glory but god is going to do it i believe well, that's that. right god will god will get the person out there the but let me tell you a story about exactly that so you understand how important it is yeah. what 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 you just said there was a guy mm -hmm. that was evangelized by a missionary and this missionary said this. He said, I talked to a guy and he received Jesus Christ. And he said, you know what? My father died a couple years ago. And he said he always in his whole life knew that there was more than what he was told. He always knew it and he was always searching. Why couldn't you have come earlier? Yeah. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the burden of saying, I'm too busy. I, I, I've got to do something Saturday. I'd rather, I, I can't imagine the priority of people that go to sports games 10 times a month and they never once go down the projects and try to tell somebody about Jesus. Or don't just simply tell the guy that's next to him in their chair at the office for 25 years and he never told him about Jesus. That's the worst thing I can think of on the planet is not to tell somebody about the only hope that there is in, in the whole world. Anyway. Um, says 90% of all Christians have never told. Yeah, that's right. I'd say 98%. 98% have never told anybody about why they need Jesus. I called a guy down that I've, I've known him for a year and a half or so. He works at the bike shop and 
uh, two days ago or three days ago, I said, I need you to stop by my house someday. Okay? Because he, he goes down Turtle Beach from the bike shop 10 times a day. So yesterday, he came by the house and he stopped and he got out. Was it yesterday? Two days ago. I think it was yesterday. Yeah, it was yesterday. And I sat down. I said, I have something to tell you. It was time to tell him. I should have told him earlier, but I have a policy never to talk to somebody while they're working. Okay? He got away from work. He was allowed to stop there. No problem. But when somebody's working, you don't want to evangelize somebody. It's not the right time to do it. And finally, I said, I'm never going to get the chance to see him. You know, I, I, I'm always seeing him when he's busy working. I said, I need you to come by my house. But that's what you do. You got to tell people. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say so. Okay, Burke, you got something. We, I've got to finish this first, but go ahead. My next door neighbors has this little boy who is four. He has never been to church, and I doubt he's ever heard Jesus mm. in a biblical life. Right. Now, he did come over three or four times when the kids were there. John had the kids over for their summer, whatever they call it, vacation, Bible school or whatever, and wrote down the slide with some people. So he knows that there is something to do with church, but, you know, he's right here, my next-door neighbor. Yep, your next-door neighbor. And, and the woman says, oh, we don't discuss religion. That's a private matter. Can you imagine that? <laughs> my neighbors are like that. I have it's some unreal. But they I did give them the, uh, uh, what's the apologist, the guy from Chicago, the, the, the Oh, oh gosh. Um, uh, who? I have no idea. Yeah, D.L. Moody? No. no. Uh, Le, uh, um, Lee, Lee, Lee Strobel. Lee, Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel. Oh, yeah. had, had, there was three of those things. And, and uh, so I, I doubt that they've watched them. No, probably not. But, uh, but you know, that's the only know. hope. <laughs> and you know what? Guess what? That guy next to you is not exempt. And he is no different than the guy in 1322 Africa, Nigeria. No different at all, okay? You're so, right. anyway, here we go. we got to go on so I can finish this before. We have only one verse today. Um, uh, where was I? Anyway, uh, spring. Okay, he's doing this. To sh I've already said that. God, I didn't know. God, no one can say God is unfair. In the end, we don't need Jesus to go to hell. We're already heading there. Rather, we need Jesus to be saved from hell. Paul will detail this very clearly as we go through the book of Romans. Okay, question for you all. Are you living by faith in what God has presented about Jesus in the Bible? Fulfilling the law on your behalf? Or are you attempting to be justified by some works of, uh, or act or acts which are prescribed in the law? Are you living by faith in what Jesus did under the law? Or are you trying to work your own way to heaven? Okay. Are you trying to not eat pork? Not get a tattoo? I have Christians bring that one up all the time. Well, you shouldn't be getting a tattoo. Why? Where does it say that in the Bible? Right now, I, personally, I am not a tattoo guy. I, I don't want them. I don't want anything to do with them. This is my temple. This is the what the way the Lord made me. As ugly as I am, I ain't going to try to adorn it anymore. Okay, but I'll trade bodies, brother. Well, yeah, I, I know you would. I know that back hurts. But I'm you know, about freckles too. Oh, well, the, oh, yeah, I got lots of those. If I shaved, you'd see lots of them. But uh, yeah, the uh, the uh, uh, precept of tattoo is only mentioned, and it's only mentioned under the law. And tattoos at that time were usually for religious purposes. That's what they were doing. It's like cutting your body for the dead and all that kind of stuff. It's a religious thing. Some people do that in the world today. Okay? You get your ears pierced, right? It relieves pain. Yeah, but, you know, so, so that's the whole thing. It was under the law. It was under the law. And that's why when somebody says Christians shouldn't get tattoos, my question always is, 
Right. Show me where that is and yeah. define it from a New Testament concept and then we'll get into it. Other than that, don't. You can tell people reasons why not. You might get infection. You're naturally you beautiful. Yeah, you'll get tired of it and you'll want to have it removed. Give them all of the logical reasons why you probably shouldn't do this thing. But in the end, there's nothing in Scripture to say that you can't do it. So let that one go. Um, eating pork, getting a tattoo. Have faith that Jesus can and will save you when you call on him. That's all you need to do. You call on him, you believe in your heart that he has done it, it is a done deal. Okay, and we uh, do we have time to get into Romans? No, that's two and a half pages long. Um, okay, so we're going to have to stop with that right now. But uh, here's a question because, once again, I, I, I think of things afterward when I'm mowing a mm. lawn or something. Mm. I think, oh, you know, I should have said this to this person. Mm. We talked about how we know that we're eternally saved. Okay, and people will argue, well, that's not true because of this or this or this. Okay, but one of the things that uh, one of the things that I said a couple weeks ago was that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit when you believe, right? Okay, if that wasn't a guarantee, then one, it wasn't a very good guarantee, and two, God made a mistake, right? Okay, so right, there are no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, but afterward, you know, because somebody emailed me about that one. I thought, you know, I should have told them about this too, so I'll say it during the Bible study because I know that they're watching, is that um, uh, what is salvation called? It is the gift of God. Okay? Now, if I give somebody something and I take it back, it wasn't a gift. That's right. So, if it is the gift of God, and it's called the gift of God at least 10 jillion times in the Bible, then either the Bible is completely in error or it really is eternal salvation. You, you can't earn it if you try to earn it. If somebody, if I give somebody something for their birthday or for because I like them or for whatever other reason, I give it to them, right? And they say, here, let me pay you for that. What's that going to do? It's going to upset me. This is a gift. I don't want your money. I did this because I love you. I did this because I'm a great guy. Because I don't want you Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't want to see your face, so please put that mask over it. Whatever the reason is, it is a gift. If somebody says, I'm going to pay you for that gift, then they're offending the giver. If I have to do something after being saved in order to keep being saved, then I'm offending the one who gave me that salvation because that has to be sufficient. And seeing that a gift is given, you have two choices. You can receive it or you cannot receive it. That's right. That's right. Once again, if it is a gift, it can be denied. And that's what the book of Acts says. Remember that, that one verse. Uh, let me take you there really quickly. I'm just trying to kill the last five minutes. That's all. Um, here we go. If, if it is not free will, then this verse makes absolutely no sense at all. Um, let me see if I can find it very quickly. It's right towards the end of the book of... Uh, of um, uh, let's see here. They did not agree. Um, oh, yeah. We'll go back to uh, Acts 28, 23. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. So he's persuading them. Doesn't sound like they're being regenerated in order to believe there. Okay, they have free will from morning until evening. And verse 24, and some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. Some disbelieved. Yeah, it, it, it is free will. I'm telling you, if you add in all of that Calvinistic nonsense, it 
makes no sense and two, the Bible never says it. It doesn't even imply it. It is free will. That doesn't mean that God somehow loses his glory. That means that God gets his glory. How early on did it say in the Bible that man was given free will? I mean, oh, from the very, very beginning. Right, so the why very would beginning. Be, like, ignored? But R.C. Sproul will deny that. Even, oh. even his fall, he excludes free will. He will do that. And why? Because if you had free will to fall, then you have free will to come to Christ. And I heard him during one of his lectures deny that the fall was a free will. He said that doesn't explain anything. It explains everything. The core of that whole thing, the flaw is, is that, well, God knew who would come. That's right. It doesn't. It's like, okay. It doesn't make any difference if God knew. He's God. That's right. (laughs) You're not. It doesn't. You're going to come to a Y in a row. Do I go left? Do I go right? I will. He knows the choice you're going to make. It does not negate that you made that choice. God's sovereign knowledge does not negate the choice of the individual. I don't think people okay. that believe that, uh, that don't believe in free will, right. or wait a minute, they, yeah, don't believe in free will, I don't think that they get the whole scope of God. Well, yeah, they do. They have just got a faulted view of it. Well, they just They've got a faulted view of the whole but scope. But they think that they, they can't they can't. No, we're talking about very well-educated people here. We're I not talking about dummies. I know. But we they know have been trained. Like in, let's, let's not devolve into a, 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 okay, one at a time. But they have been trained into a theology. And when that happens, just like the Jehovah's Witnesses, every presupposition step in. And it doesn't matter what you tell them. It doesn't matter what you tell them. If you tell them that the sky is blue and they were told that it was green, they will never believe otherwise. You have to come to this book every single time without presuppositions, and they're not willing to do that. The question I like to ask, too, is, okay, if that's the case, God knows these are all going to hell or these are all going to heaven. Why Why go through all of this? Why go through all of this if God already knows? Why go through all of the effort? Because he could just create us out of everything. Now, we got to stop. And because you raised your hand, I want you to pray us out. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted you to talk about Martin Luther in this verse. Oh, okay. Well, that would take too long anyway. It's time to close, so that's all right. Yeah, next week you remind me. Lord, there are some deep, deep things here today. We ask that you might help us to. To understand these things and to make them part of our uh, just of our thinking and, and our dealing with others. We just thank you for the discussion and thank you for our hope in you and for your your goodness, your loving kindness, and your righteousness that you've imputed to us. Our hope of heaven. God, as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right. Um, let me get the camera back and you all can wave goodbye to these folks. Uh, let's see here. Still on live? Okay. All right. Yeah. Start waving in just a second. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Have a nice evening. We all love you guys. Take care.